Here, I want to move this over here. Well, my name's Andrew, and today we get to learn about Andrew through the words of Andrew. <laughs> In all seriousness, my name really is Andrew, as Josh said, and we are looking at the disciple Andrew today. Um, and just a fun fact for you, the name Andrew actually means manly, and when I figured that out, I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's kind of boring. <laughs> Because it's like my parents like got together with their newborn boy and like, oh, what do we name him? Well, hopefully he grows up to be a man, so let's name him Andrew. So that's fitting. He can live up to that one. <laughs> but anyway, so let's get back to it. I know Josh prayed, but I just want to pray for us again before we dive into scripture about the disciple Andrew. Um, so Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Uh, I pray as we study Andrew, the disciple that uh, we learn to live like him. We learn to look to you for everything and not to ourselves uh, because you are a good God and we want to worship you for everything. So when it comes to the disciple Andrew, I want you guys to know three things about him. And the first one is what is he famous for? And to find that, we're actually going to look in Mark 1, uh, 16 through 20. I think we can pull that up. Yeah, there it is. And so I'll just read it. And you guys can read along with me. And so it goes, one day, as Jesus was walking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing the nets. He called them at once, and they followed him leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. I know you guys have gone through Peter and you've gone through John, and so just remember that Simon is Peter. And notice how even in this introduction, Andrew is seen as just Peter's brother. And so he's most famous not for anything he did or who he followed, as in Jesus, but he's famous for being Peter's brother. And that's the first thing. So that's point one, Peter's brother. Pretty simple. One down, two to go. And so the second thing is we're looking at verses 19 and 20. Notice that there's two other people that are in a very similar circumstance, and it's James and John, another set of brothers. These guys were also fishermen in the same area that Andrew and Peter were. And uh, it's safe to assume, because they're fishermen in the same area and they're Jewish, that they knew each other. So not only did Peter know, oh, sorry, Andrew knew Peter well, but he also knew James and John well from a long time. And so we're going to look at another place where we see these four together, um, which kind of brings us to our second point. Uh, and it comes from Mark 13, 2, three, three, there it is. And so it says, Jesus replied, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked, Tell us when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are fulfilled or to be fulfilled? And we're not going to dive into what this is talking about, but I do want you to notice that this is the only time when these four are mentioned together outside of the first one. Normally, it's not the four amigos. Normally, it's just the three amigos, like we know. And you guys may have heard that 
Jesus had an intimate, more intimate relationship with Peter, James, and John. And we can see here how Andrew is just so close to that. And that's the second point. So point one, he's the brother of Peter. Point two is he's so close to being special. But he's not there. He knows all the right people. He knows the same people. But he's not included in that group. So point one, Peter's brother. Point two, almost special. And the last point I want to bring up about Andrew, the disciple, is something we don't see in the Bible, which is odd. Uh, And it's the fact that he is never quoted to being jealous. He's never quoted to being just bitter about the fact that he was so close to being special when his brother and his close friends were. Which is an odd thing because Peter, James, and John all were. At different times in the Bible, it's noticed that Peter is jealous of John or that James and John want to be the greatest disciple. They're comparing themselves to everyone saying, I want to be the greatest. But that's not true of Andrew. Andrew doesn't at all seem to be bitter or concerned or jealous of the people around him. And I think that's odd. I think that's really, really noteworthy as well. Because at least for myself, I know I am jealous of people all the time. And in middle school and high school, jealousy is what motivated me more than anything to do things. And so I mentioned that it's like, this is a problem that I think exists everywhere that we don't address very often. And it's odd that we don't see it in disciple Andrew. And for myself, this plays a deep role in one of the things that I try to do so much of, and that's tennis. And so I played a lot of tennis in high school. And I'm not talking just a little bit. I'm talking like 10 to 20 hours every week where I traveled to Oklahoma, I traveled to Kansas, I traveled to Nebraska. I was trying to be not just the best tennis player in Iowa, but I wanted to be the best tennis player in the Midwest. I wanted to go D1. I wanted to get scholarships, all these sort of things. And I was getting good. I was considered the best player in Iowa for my age, but it was all fueled by bitterness. and It was all fueled by, fueled by jealousy. I just wanted something I saw someone else have. And it wasn't just a problem in tennis. Because even when I had that, when I was the best tennis player in Iowa, I just looked for the next best thing. And I looked for the other things that I wanted. Like, well, I'm not considered the funniest person at school. I'm not considered the smartest or the best looking or even just the most popular. I want to be that. And so it was just one issue after the next of just wanting things that other people had. And I just moved on from one thing to the next. And I want to go into what I think to be the solution for jealousy. Because it's easy for us to think, okay, I know jealousy's wrong. I don't want to do that. I'll do something else instead. But that doesn't deal with the root issue because you just move on from one issue to the next. If I was done being jealous in tennis, I went on to looking to be popular. And it just substituted one idol for the next. And so I want to look to what I think to be the cure of jealousy. And that's in Philippians 3, 5 through 11. So that's where we're going to spend a lot of time in discussion at least. And so it's on the screen. And the first part You'll talk about more why these things are important for Paul, because Paul's the one writing this, and why this is a really big deal for the people in the first century. But for us, it's kind of odd. So let's still just read the whole thing. And as Paul speaking, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, and I am a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for the righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. 
I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. I want to say that sentence again. This is amazing. It says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one day or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. All right, I'm going to transition a little bit, so stick with me. Imagine that you and your best friend like the same person. And there's a dance coming up. And you both want to go with this person to that dance. And the person knows this. The person knows that both you and your best friend like them, but they still decide to go with your best friend instead. That would cause me to be jealous. That would probably cause you to be jealous. That's a normal thing. You would want what they had. You really want it. You really like them, but you didn't get it. And that hurts and that stinks. But keep imagining that 10 years later, you would go on to marry that person. Would you still be jealous of them? No. There's no reason to. Now, why would you not be jealous of them? You wouldn't be jealous because you have something far better. And a similar thing happened to me. I didn't marry the person of my dreams, but I did find something better. And so I'm going to go back to my sophomore year of high school. And I actually began to listen to people preaching the gospel. I began to actually realize that, wait a second, I bring nothing to the table. There's nothing I can do to make God want me that would make me in any way noteworthy. There's no accomplishment. There's nothing. I could be the smartest person in the world, and it would be nothing compared to what God is. And my life kind of fell apart. I was like, okay, what about Jesus? And so I began to find riches in Jesus, which made, sorry, everything else begin to look like garbage. Having a relationship with the infinite God, who if you look back, it says, he is of infinite value. He makes everything else worthless. And so when it came to tennis, I began to think, okay, this isn't that important anymore compared to knowing and following Jesus. And so I said, all right, Jesus, I want to, you are worth more than this. I want to live and follow you. And because of that, I started to not be as good as tennis, but I started to actually love the people I was playing against. And this guy named Tim Paulson, he was my biggest rival. This isn't isn't a joke. He really was my biggest rival for tennis, and he would later become saved because I just started to love him and think tennis is way less important than Jesus. And going back, you may have noticed that I didn't really introduce who I am. You guys don't really know who I am. You don't really know why I'm here. And I really don't want to talk much about me, but I do want to share just one thing about myself. I believe that knowing Jesus is absolutely everything. 
that he really is of infinite value. And if you forget everything else that I've talked about, which isn't that much, but <laughs> if you forget everything else, remember this. Spend your whole life figuring out who Jesus is, what he has done, and all that you can have from him, all that he has to give you. For knowing Jesus makes everything else look like garbage. And we distract ourselves with so many things, because that's why I went through like the idols. Uh, for me, it was literally tennis, and then it went from tennis to relationships, to like girlfriend, and then it went from there to just school, and it just never stopped until I realized that, no, these things aren't actually worth anything compared to knowing Jesus. It is all meaningless. It is all worthless compared to knowing him. And so, going back to science, because knowledge we've used so much, I don't regret giving it up. I don't regret not signing to be a D1 athlete. In fact, I wish, like, I just gave it up sooner. <laughs> and I don't think the disciple Andrew regrets giving up being a fisherman to follow Jesus. And I don't know if he talks about this, but every single one of the disciples that Jesus had besides John would later die for Jesus. And I don't think Andrew regretted giving up his life, not just like when he died, but his whole life after he met Jesus because he found everything in him. And so I just want to encourage you guys, spend your life trying to find the infinite value that is only in Jesus. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good father to us, and you've given us the best gift possible, and that's your son, Jesus Christ. We're really terrible people. We're not good at living our lives. We mess up more than we even know about, and we may be guilty in so many different ways, but you provide us not just an answer to our unrighteousness, but you give us Jesus, who is everything. And so we thank you that all we have to do is just put our faith in him, and we get to experience infinite joy with you forever. So I pray that we'd always look to finding our value in Jesus and not in anything we do or anything we can find here on earth. In your holy name, amen.